It's Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Ken loves talking about cars and automotive trends. And here he is, the automotive host with the most, Ken Chester. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. This is our number two of Roadworthy Drive, America's premier mobility news and technology talk show. I'm Ken Chester, your host for the hour, in studio with Jack DeLeon and Sasha Little. Together, we are known as the Roadworthy Drive crew. I'm so glad you could join us. This hour, we're all about minivan safety as we take a look at recent Insurance Institute for Highway Safety reports. We get serious about your right to repair in this software-driven digital world. And finally, we'll end the hour with a look at Volkswagen's investments in a digital future and what that means to the electric recharging industry in particular here in the United States. All that with the usual snark and side comments. But first, if you want to add your voice to the conversation, you can call or text me via the Roadworthy Drive line, that number, 872-222-9793. If email is more convenient for you, my address is ken at roadworthydrive.net. Either way, we'll connect you with me and the show. Speaking of the show, mm. a more proper introduction of the crew. About time. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, that voice, the man at the controls, um, the designated adult, and to our chagrin, the favorite of the suits, <laughs> my friend and Roadworthy Drive executive producer, Jack DeLeon. Also in studio with us is the sometimes caffeinated, always opinionated, social media <laughs> diva, Sasha Little. How are we doing? Oh, I might be opinionated, but I'm also normally right. Not and always. Correct. I said normally. Don't you? Oh. <laughs> you know, I'm loving that buzzer this week. <laughs> loving it. And loving just it. at the right time. Right? Yeah, no. He's getting a little too. Yeah, that, that, that's called a sound package, people. <laughs> Radio language. Nice. Yeah. Okay, Playing Mr. Chester, this hour in the parts bin. Um, Ikea and self-driving cars. Now, what does Ikea want to do? Right. They believe that they're in the midst of a transformation. And they, they believe with some recent purchases that they've made, they're becoming more of a tech company. Well, here's what they've – in addition – like one thing that they've done – um, the delivery fleet, they're moving to an electric electric delivery fleet. Okay. Now, they're looking into the future with self-driving car concepts. They've actually, they've got a development arm called Space 10. Okay. It's released a set of seven concepts meant to help people think about how car interiors may shift when they become autonomous. I'll let that settle for a minute. I can see I can see the U concept seating coming into place. There's a shopping car, outfitted with IKEA products, of course, mm. as well as a grocery car, a coffee car, which I'd be hanging out in, a <laughs> hotel car, which people can view in augmented reality, and they can review them in augmented reality on the space on Space Ten's app. These concepts themselves are relatively simple in design. Of course, all Swedish minimalism with clean, curved lines. And here's the thing. No metallic futurism to be seen. Really? Yeah. They believe that with the advent of self-driving cars, that the interiors will change dramatically. And that there'll be the ability to offer a whole range of new services, uh, like co-working or entertainment on the go. 
and IKEA sees it as a business opportunity. Hmm. How many in this room have ever been to IKEA? Don't look at me. Crickets online. Well, the point I'm making. But there are, is, no, is, is there are it, no IKEAs in our state, though. Is, is there it, not? See, no. no. First place you go is Mall of America in Minneapolis. Oh, yeah. because Over 200 there. miles away. Right? Yeah. yeah. Kind of reason why we've probably never been to an IKEA. I will do my shopping online. But again, it just seems like to me, Ikea is a little too rich for my blood. Amen. I have no idea what their equipment costs. Uh, They became known because their equipment was knocked down and assembled. Right. And that would tend for me to think cheaper, not more expensive, as opposed to maybe uh, um, iconic furniture that was uh, handmade. But we'll see. But it's interesting to note that a furniture manufacturer is actually thinking this way because it is going to change. You know, we've seen a couple attempts by auto manufacturers. Uh, Kia had one at the SEMA show a few years back. Right. Mercedes introduced their 2030 vision concept. So automakers are starting to think about this. Uh, my personal favorite was like a Kia Soul, which had like an easy chair at the back of the vehicle and a big screen TV where the dashboard would be and plenty of leg room. It was comfortable. Well, there you go. So we're going. But it's important to note, and I quote, while IKEA itself has its sights on car interiors, it doesn't plan to pull a Dyson and try to build a car itself. It has no interest in building an autonomous car. They just want to provide the interior. Okay. Um, their words, it's like, in other words, the future of car interiors will soon be more like the design of living spaces rather than anything specific to transportation. And IKEA figures, now suddenly, here's an area where we have a lot of experience and an area where we'd like to engage for new insight. So, well, you know, autonomous car, interior by IKEA. Okay, but has IKEA thought this all out? Because they're going to have to meet federal regulations. Now, your idea of a recliner in the car, what kind of problems is that going to impose if, underline if, exclamation point, there is an accident? Let's back up a minute. Federal motor safety standards are going to dramatically change in an autonomous world. Yeah. We don't know what they're going to look like. We don't know what those standards are going to be. We don't even know what the guidelines are going to be yet. Until you get to the point where... It is completely 100% autonomous. Right. You're still going to have the ability of somebody running into you. Granted. And all that stuff's going to have to meet those regulations. Ah, well, here's the question. Um, at what point does the, do those regulations continue to make sense? At the point where it's 100% autonomous. Mm, I think there's going to be some evolutionary changes and some evolutionary rules and I think we're not there yet. I think that's what the issue is. I think all IKEA is doing at this point is introducing, hey, here's some potential ways that we see the future um, without getting it scaled for whatever safety issues. Um, because honestly, um, a vehicle that could be a coffee vehicle, kind of neat. Rolling restaurant maybe for light snacks and things on the way. Who knows what that might look like? Who knows Who knows what that's going to be? Okay, yeah. Ken, what else do you have? Speaking of ordering coffee oh. through your car. Um, through your car or to your car? 
from your car. In fact, oh. there are commercials on TV right now uh, where this gal speaks to her vehicle, says, call Starbucks and have them prepare my standard order. And Alexa, through the car, does just that. A little creepy to me. That is a little creepy. But that's what's going on. And again, do I want Alexa in my car? But no. she. But here's the thing. She is. In certain automakers, she is. And they want to tie it in to the Internet of Things. They want to tie your house, your car, your phone, and you together. I understand that. But I'm the one that's going to sit here and scream, privacy! Granted. Mm -hmm. Do you realize, according to a General Motors study, Americans on average spend 46 minutes a day in their cars? That doesn't surprise me. 46 minutes to sell you some of everything to a captive audience. GM started Marketplace last year. They're moving that way. Well, and that's the thing that I don't want to see. Mm -hmm. I'm tired of seeing the doggone commercials on YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. And right yeah. now, they're all political. But you know yeah. what? And YouTube said, if you go to YouTube Red, you can get rid of the commercials. I they know. want you to pay not to have commercials. Which I will interject that I think it's going to be the exact same thing when we have self-driving vehicles. It may very well be saying, if you want... But a think about quiet it. ride. The, the technology, somebody's got to pay for it. Somebody's got to pay for it. If you're getting the convenience... And you've got a vehicle, you've chose to own a vehicle for those conveniences on purpose. Someone's going to pay for that. Right. But at what point in time does the technology get us to 1984? I think we're there. Mm -hmm. I think we're there right now. Yeah. And how do, how do I protect my privacy? And let's just say, Ken, you and I are in a car traveling someplace, or the three of us are in a car traveling someplace. Uh -huh. And we're talking about, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Proprietary information. Yeah. Now, do we know it's not out there? Well, I will round this up with this. Um, laws, privacy laws. We've talked about that. We need it. Next up, minivan safety and the IIHS tests. We report. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. You're riding shotgun with Roadworthy Drive. is Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. The Tula Clark sings for Plymouth. The 1969 Sport Fury by Plymouth. With standard contoured bucket seats separated by a fold-down armrest. A safe flight instrument panel. Contoured glass. Hidden windshield wipers. Just look what Plymouth's up to now. Driving will never be.
No love for the Plymouth Sport Fury? Uh, what? No, I'm just not feeling that way. Ah, I'm not either. Wow. <laughs> if you're just tuning in, this is Roadworthy Drive. Welcome. I'm Ken Chester in studio with Sasha and Jack, as usual. And together, we are better known as the Roadworthy Drive crew. Right now, the conversation is safety with respect to minivans. Regardless of what you think about them, grandma car, mom mobile, whatever, they still transport millions of people each and every day. Now, here on the program, we usually quote from and refer to information provided by the Institute, I'm sorry, the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. And that's for good reason. Through the organization's efforts, automakers have worked to make vehicles much more safe, often in excess of the current federal motor vehicle safety standards, when there are some, right, and creating de facto standards in the absence of such. So we're going to talk about what's up with minivans right now. Okay. How many minivan manufacturers do we still have that are making them? Minivans. Let's see. Um, Chrysler. Yep. Yeah. Nissan. Toyota. Yep. Um, Honda. Is Hyundai still? No. Uh, Kia is, though. Kia. Okay. Yeah. Kia is. Hyundai's not. Yeah. Um, Mitsubishi's not. Thank well. Chevy's not. No. Chevy's not. Ford's not. No. Um, hang on. BM, BMW isn't. Volvo isn't. Is it there? Uh, Mercedes isn't. No. The Europeans are not. At all. They, no. they officially. But, but let's talk about the test that particular, there's a particular test okay. that we're talking about, a couple of them today. Um, we started talking about a test that the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety started with last year. And it's the offset frontal passenger side And test. we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We did. And we were learning that automakers, while they improved those tests when they were done for the driver's side, uh, we got a real eye-opener when they did it, started doing it for the passenger side. You would think, and we've thought about that here aloud, that it would be consistent on both sides. Mm -hmm. But it's not. Here's a test. Uh, they tested three okay. minivans. The Chrysler Pacifica, Honda Odyssey, Toyota Sienna. Okay. Okay. Who came out on top? Toyota. No. <gasps> uh, Chrysler? No. Yeah, no. Not ever. Hon Honda did. Wow. And actually, for this particular test, mm -hmm. to my surprise, the Toyota failed it. Oh. Wow. What? Yeah. Now, let me read this. Okay. Um, and this is right from the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety document. Okay. The Toyota Sienna stumbled, the Chrysler Pacifica turned in an acceptable performance, and the Honda Odyssey finished strong in the Institute's passenger side small overlap front crash test. They're talking about 2018 and 2019 model minivans, the latest group to be put through the passenger side small overlap test. A small overlap crash occurs just when the front corner of the vehicle strikes another vehicle or an object, such as a tree or a utility pole. The IIHS began rating vehicles for occupant protection in a driver's side small overlap front crash in 2012 and added the passenger side test last year to make sure occupants on both sides of the vehicle get equal protection. And I need to say this because you would think this. There is no federal motor vehicle safety standard for either of these. Nope. 
And so this is what the uh, Insurance Institute is doing right now. Exactly. Because you realize 45% of crashes to the front of a vehicle are offset frontal crashes. And why haven't we changed the federal motor vehicle standard? I think you need to ask your representatives about that. Okay. I can't answer th- that. This takes con- congressional approval. Yeah. This isn't well, rulemaking. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. There is a long period of rulemaking that needs to happen. You don't just decide one day you're going to create a rule. Why did that, I just hear Schoolhouse Rock? I'm a bill. You probably yeah. did. <laughs> but it takes time. Uh, but it hasn't happened. Uh, now, I will say this. Starting Now, I have to be fair. Um, the results, starting with the 2015 models, Toyota had modified the structure of the Sienna to improve driver's side protection, but ironically didn't make the same changes to the passenger side. This is, this is an issue of the actual structure of the vehicle failing, not the airbags or anything. Here's a picture. Wow. Yeah. Let me see it. Ooh. And or you to know give what? You, or it's... to give you his one between the Toyota and the Honda. Oh, my. And especially with, like, vans. I mean, you're obviously not driving a van because it's just you. You're going to have passengers in all the seats. It just makes sense. You know, like, if you've got a car, chances are maybe half the time, maybe about 30%, you're going to have somebody in the passenger seat. But a van? You're going to have yeah. multiple seats yeah. all the, bo- the time. The bottom line is, the good news about this is, is usually these tests spur the automakers to make improvements. So you can bet your money that Toyota will fix the problem. Because, I mean, we're, gonna, we're talking about children. Yes. Most of the time when you are, and I say mm-hmm. this as a van driver, whoever is in my passenger seat, it's not an adult. Mm-hmm. It is one of my children. Right. And if I see this picture mm-hmm. of what could happen to my child on one of the two-lane roads that I, yeah, that, that, that I travel wrong. daily, it's going to make a huge impact about what I'm going to be driving. And you won't buy it. Uh, yeah, I know that's right. This is why they do the testing, to encourage the automakers to make the necessary improvements. The good news is, over the history of the IIHS, uh, automakers have improved products in reference to these tests. So they're not going to get on the air and say, these aren't fair. Oh, my God, they didn't do it right. No. These, These tests, they'll go back, they'll make the changes, and in the next year or two, they'll pass. And that's the important thing here, that this test is designed to encourage the automaker to make the necessary improvements, particularly when compared to other vehicles. If you made the improvement on the left-hand side, why can't you take, make the same improvement to the right-hand side? In the time I got relating, I can explain it to two things. Money. Or one thing. Money, Jack. Money. It costs millions upon millions of dollars Cha-ching. to make those changes. Yep. Millions. Coming up, your right to repair. It's a thing. And what we learned might surprise you. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. This is Roadworthy Drive. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is America's premier automotive news and information talk show.
Welcome back to the third segment of Roadworthy Drive because I had to start this because the conversation that was going on here was really kind of um, intense. Illuminating. I need counseling. Uh, yeah, I need therapy too. <laughs> Go on, sir. Yeah, this is Roadworthy Drive, people. I am Ken Chester in studio still with Jack and Sasha, and we are still known better as the Roadworthy Drive crew. We are, yes. We are. For those of you who may want to know more about the crew in the show, be sure to visit our website, and that's roadworthydrive.com. Discover videos of our behind-the-scene antics, audio clips of our past shows, and so much more. Sasha is our social media diva who keeps things light and lively between the week, during the week between shows. Mm. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. For those of you who are inseparable from your mobile phone, we got you covered, too. Look for us on Google Play, Blueberry Podcasting, or Stitcher. You will be glad you did. Many much gladness. Many much. I don't usually talk about repair issues on the show, but right now, this time, mm -hmm. making an exception. All right. What happened? It's actually a movement called Right to Repair. Okay. And this group is taking manufacturers to task with respect to be able to modify and repair certain products, including, <coughs> excuse me, motor vehicles and farm equipment. And ironically, in this digital age of software, it's not as simple as it used to be. Now, back in the days, you could fix your car, get mm -hmm. the parts, break out the books. If you wanted to modify the engine, no big deal, right? Right. You know, you could put a, you could put a uh, turbocharger on it. You could change out the pistons, go oversized. You can bore the engine bigger. Uh, you can change a bunch of things. Right. So here's the big question. Mm -hmm. In that F-150 you're driving. Yes, sir. Do you own all of the truck? Not ever. Uh, I thought I did. No. What about the software in the engine computer? Um, I don't know. Chances are you probably don't. Okay. Welcome to the subject. Boy, boy, this has gone a different direction than I thought it was going to yeah, go. Yeah, didn't you, though? Okay, um, let me ask you a question. Yes, sir. I'm going to go back to basics here. Yeah, okay. I asked you a question in one of the off-air off segments that we did last hour. Okay. And that question was, if I go to a Ford dealer buy, wanting to buy a Chevy, mm -hmm. and I run the VIN number through the website you told me, mm -hmm. Um, and I find that there's a recall. Okay. Is that Ford dealer responsible to have that fixed at the Chevy dealer? That's the only way you can get it fixed. Right. But is it their responsibility because at the time they, quote, own the car? It, it depends. To me, a reputable dealer would make sure that the vehicle is completely roadworthy, would have had it checked for all those things. Okay. Is there a law that says they have to do that? No. No. Um, but it's ethical. It makes sense. If I'm going to sell you something, I want to sell you something without defect, if I, if I can help it. You know, or at least known defect. Let me fix it that way. But that's not where this is going. Don't get me started. Yeah, I know. Hold Don't on. Don't get me started. I know. I know. Hold that for another time. Okay. What I'm talking about now is that we're in a world where you've got software right. that controls everything. Even more so if you are owning farm tractors or farm equipment. Hold on. This is Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Yeah, I'm all choked up about that. Yes, this. he's choking up. It seems that if you own a tractor, right. you can't upgrade it. Why does that make sense to me? But it doesn't. 
You can't retrofit old equipment with new features. You can't modify your tractor to meet new environmental standards on their own. Farmers have been enterprising and creative forever and have been upgrading and modifying the equipment forever. Yeah. And as much money as a new tractor costs, and you're telling me I can't upgrade it or have my local farm mechanic upgrade it with the latest whatever, I have to replace the tractor with a new one just to get the better software or the upgraded software? I don't think so. No, something is really wrong with that. Thank you. Well, and that's keeps, the point. It keeps our farmers, unfortunately, in a constant sense of revolving debt. Yeah, yeah, and, and here's the thing: they've been right now. The farm implement makers have used copyright laws to lock the farmers out of that software. That's in the process of changing. Um, what they're getting now is access to service manuals, product guides, onboard diagnostics, and other information, and that's fine to help them identify or repair problems with machinery. But they don't get the access to parts and the diagnostic software they need in order to deal with things. That's a problem. Now, you're asking, why does that matter? Well, the vehicle you're driving has a number of computers controlled by software. Mm -hmm. um, and in the past, I, and I'm not saying that everybody should just go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs uh, in terms of modifying things at will. But in the past, you pretty much when you bought the car, there wasn't a piece of that car you could not modify if you wanted to. Yep. That would be correct. Yes. Engine, transmission, all kinds of things. And you even watch on some of these uh, car modification shows where they're doing just that. And what are they doing? They're fooling with the engine computer. Or they're fooling with the transmission computer. Uh-huh. And they're having a hard time usually. And they have yep. to call in somebody from the factory. Correct. There's this thing, and it was passed in my home state of Massachusetts, called Right to Repair, that basically says we want to give third parties the right to do the repairs and the upgrades. It doesn't have to be the dealer, which is interesting because on a new car, particularly like oil changes and stuff, mm -hmm. your warranty's not invalidated if somebody else does the oil changes uh, as long as you can document it, and it's done according to the way the factory says it needs to be done. Every 5,000 miles. You know, or whatever your manual or whatever says. whatever it is, yeah. However, to upgrade your software, make changes, uh-uh. you got to go to the dealer. Yeah. Not, necess not necessarily in Massachusetts, you don't. In Massachusetts, you have the right, that third party has the right to have the access to the parts and the diagnostic software to either upgrade or repair. So the fight now is not so much hardware anymore. It's software and who owns it. Uh, the, the manufacturers want to fight and say, well, some of this is proprietary and we don't want to give it out. Well, you know what? The Chevy uh, short block V8 was proprietary too. Mm -hmm. Folks modified it yep. and changed it. Yep. Transmissions are a black box piece of work. Those get modified. Turbochargers, you name it, all kinds of hardware gets modified, intake manifolds, uh, fuel injection systems, all things that were hardware. Don't understand why software should be any different. Okay, are we getting to the point now, at some point it would make sense to me that these computers are going to be good enough that we're going to be able to upgrade them. Let's just say we can upgrade them three times before the fourth time you can't. Tesla. Uh, but... 
<laughs> if we're going to do this, is it, is it going to come back down to, okay, now I got to have a subscription service every year like I do with Microsoft Office? Oh, God, don't even. And I know, I won't started. go back. But that's where we're going. That's exactly and where that's we're going. right to repair. Yep. I shouldn't have to. Okay. I shouldn't have to. But that's food for thought, and we will continue on this story because that's why I brought it up. Now. For the final segment, Volkswagen and the big investments they are making that will impact your transportation future, even if you never own a VW. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. We are Roadworthy Drive. You're tuned in to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. If you're just tuning in, this is the last segment of Hour 2 of Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester, your host and a founding member of the Roadworthy Drive crew, which includes Jack Dillion at the controls and Sasha Little at Mike 2. Mike 2. Yes, sir. And we're so glad you dropped by. Now, to end this hour, perhaps on a high note, I wanted to bring you up to speed about what Volkswagen's been up to lately. Now, longtime listeners know that I've been covering the company from their first missteps three years ago dubbed Dieselgate, to their efforts to remake itself in the digital and electronic vehicle space, helped by, no doubt, its settlement with the EPA and the Justice Department to spend $2 billion, that's with a B, dollars to advance electric vehicle technology with a focus on electric vehicle charging. Uh, the space is evolving thanks to VW money. And actually, I found six different things, if we've got time to cover, uh, that Volkswagen is doing. Go. Start with the first one. They're going to invest total $4 billion by 2025 to build digital businesses and products, including a cloud computing-based platform to connect vehicles and customers to offer services such as car sharing. Oh. They've got a new operating system called VW.OS going to be introduced to their cars in 2020. These models will have a completely new electronic architecture designed to help facilitate autonomous driving functions. Here's the thing. Rather than having around 70 different sensors and controllers operating independently within each vehicle, the new cars will connect the various sensors using the new proprietary software operating system. Wow. This way, the information gathered by a parking sensor could be linked to the steering, brakes, and high-definition maps to, wait a minute, allow a car to park itself once an onboard camera sparks a free parking space. That's the first one. Two, Volkswagen said that they would also, we talked about this car sharing business. It's going to be called We Share. They're going to launch it in Berlin with a fleet of 2,000 electric cars in the second quarter of 2019, less than a year from now. It's going to expand to core European markets as well as selected cities in the United States and Canada, the car maker said. Look for an electric fleet of VW cars to be shared coming to a city near you. Number three, remember that uh, 
few minutes ago, that Volkswagen operating system. Yep. Guess who they're teaming up with? Who? Microsoft. Really? Yep. They announced a strategic partnership to collaborate to accelerate Volkswagen's digital transformation. They considered this a decisive step for Volkswagen and its transformation into a utility. I'm sorry, into a mobility provider with a fully connected vehicle fleet. Sasha, no. Why not? No, uh, I don't have a whole lot of love for Microsoft anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't like the fruit either. I do not mm-hmm. like the fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my thing is this: I, I don't like the the plat. I I like their idea. I just don't like who they decide to partner with to make take the idea forward. Well, who else are they going to partner with? I mean, and I know what you're going to say, but stop it. I mean, there are legitimate hack-proof software technologies that could definitely help them in a way that they have been proven time and time again. So how do we know that they're not going to adopt blockchain? BMW is. Right. And we don't know. All we know is that they're going to develop together the Volkswagen Automotive Cloud. The cloud could very easily decide to adopt blockchain because automakers are looking at it, yeah, but- particularly European automakers. And more importantly, with the privacy laws in Europe, mm-hmm. if anything, that is an encouragement to consider it. My thing is, is that I would not like to go into a situation where they decide to use uh, where now I have to pay a subscription in order to be included as part of the cloud. And there is no guarantee that that's going to be the case because remember these cars are going to be interactive with the cloud mm-hmm. much the way teslas are yeah so that would actually permit downloadable upgrades mm-hmm. and a whole lot of things they did not say they were going to monetize this cloud not they're yet. saying they, they uh, they're saying they're going to use it to get their cars where they need to be in terms of autonomy mm-hmm. connectivity mm-hmm. and the fact they're electric mm-hmm. so we'll have to see yeah, that may happen but they didn't say it would happen Mm-hmm. But our, but as they say, Jack, there's more. There's more. Volkswagen is teaming up with an American university to develop fuel cells. And which university would that be? Stanford. Oh. The thing is, they figured out how to get the cost of platinum, which is used in the chemical process, mm-hmm. way down. They said one of the biggest cost drivers is the use of platinum, which is required as a catalyst to operate the fuel cell. In a catalytic process, platinum is distributed as particles on a carbon powder. However, since the process only takes place on the surface, you need a lot of it. Basically, they figured out how to get a, how to use less platinum to get more result okay. and drop the cost. They said it reduces the amount of platinum required, increases the efficiency of the catalyst by a factor of three. Wow. Compared to current technology. And on top of that, increases its durability. Mm -hmm. They think this could even be used in lithium-ion batteries to get the same sort of performance. That would be interesting. Less lithium, more power, and less cost and higher durability. Um, The reason why they like uh, the fuel cell, same reasons we've talked about before over the battery electrics. Cars with fuel cells are comparable to conventional combustion engines in terms of efficiency, range, and refueling times. And weight. Less weight. Because batteries weigh. Yep, they do. 
Um, yeah, there's more. What are you up to, number five or number six? Number five. You need to move. Volkswagen to use virtual test drives to make new assistant systems production ready. The biggest problem with autonomous and connected cars mm -hmm. was the real-time gathering of information. Right. They're going to go to the virtual world to create these situations to get multiple to get basically to hypercharge the time used to get the experience that the systems need for the AI, for the uh, artificial intelligence to learn this stuff. Okay. So that's where they're going, and they think that they can leapfrog this, crunch the time, get more information, and make it usable quicker at a lower cost. The last thing real quick, and all I'm going to say is that new ID Buzz uh, kind of bug a wagon that we were talking about, mm -hmm. the old yes. Volkswagen bug, they've got an electric autonomous cargo version of it. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's going to be out by 2021. It's going to be ahead of the passenger thing. So... Uh, on all of that, it brings myself and it brings our weekly visit to the end. On behalf of Sasha, Jack, and myself, thanks for listening. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. You've been tuned in to Roadworthy Drive. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.